Welcome to the Lightshine Church Podcast. I'm Rob Douglas, the organizing pastor of Lightshine Church, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. For the next six weeks, we're going to switch gears in order to study the book of Job, which is perhaps the Scripture's most profound meditation on suffering. Preaching Job makes me more than a little bit nervous. But the truth is that the timing of this seems to be right. The world is suffering right now. Now, the church in more recent centuries hasn't had that much use for Job, but that's not always been the case. The medieval church used it big time in order to help prepare Christians to deal with suffering without falling away from their faith. And so we might ask, why is this so important? Because suffering is one of the universal aspects of what it means to be human. There's this connection between love and suffering, because we know that we who love much will also suffer much. Job doesn't fully satisfy us with answers to our deepest why questions, but what it does do is it deals with the now what questions. Now what? How do we move forward? Knowing that suffering is universal and going to be real for all of us. Like, how would Job endure the horrible suffering that befell him? Through the crying out, through the blaming of God, a question at the beginning would be, will Job be able to transcend his pain? Or better yet, I think, would be, is he able to be transformed by it? It will raise similar questions for each one of us. How are we to deal with the inevitable suffering that we will surely face in this difficult and oftentimes unfair life? Too often Christians want easy answers. It's why so many people have looked to the prosperity gospel. Here's one example which offers a solution to the problem of evil and suffering. The prosperity gospel looks at a suffering Christian as a problem to be solved. They might ask what unconfessed sin has caused this suffering to happen. Job is a book that will dismantle these easy answers. It's going to cause us to wrestle with realities, to wrestle with theology, maybe even to wrestle with God. Job certainly did. And what I hope that we find is that God actually welcomes this kind of wrestling. We'll move into this topic um, a little bit more next week. But for now, before we read the scriptures, let's pray. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. God, make us hungry for this heavenly food that it would nourish us today in ways of eternal life through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. 
Our first reading here comes from Job 1, 1 to 21, and it will start out challenging and it will not get easier as we move forward. There was once a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, there they are, Shay, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold feasts in one another's houses in turn. They would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the feast days had run their course, Job would send and sanctify them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This is what Job always did. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. The Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, all that he has is in your power. Only do not stretch out your hand against him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell on them and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three columns, made a raid on the camels and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came across the desert, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, 
and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, friends. Thanks be to God. We are going to try something new today, and it will require a really easy, hopefully, level of participation from everybody. The answers may not be easy, but it will be easy to do. We're going to use that chat box, and we're going to answer questions by last name, and we're going to let our answers contribute to a little bit of mutual learning and sharing as we walk through this text. Chad's going to help us with it. And so what you're going to do is by last names, A through D, and when you answer, put the number of your question ahead of your answer. So we're just looking for a word, a phrase, a sentence that how you would answer this question. And then Chad is going to kind of be the, the host of this section. And Chad's going to summarize uh, the answers of each of the group. And we're just going to allow that to, uh, to learn a little bit from each other as we move forward. So we're going to take two minutes. So go ahead and use that chat box and answer your question. Uh, one, two, three, or four. And then Dustin, yeah, there we go. Hopefully there's a group two out there somewhere. It's a tough question, there we go. All right, very good. All right, let me try to solve a problem real quick. Dustin, maybe you can solve this problem. Can you see if you can get Chad unmuted? And let's see what happens. Yeah, excellent. All right, Chad, I'm gonna go for uh, go for 
Group number one, if you can. Perfect. Thank you for that. And we'll get to two in a few minutes. So I noticed that even reading some of those chats, something comes up. It wasn't brought up directly, but indirectly. I can see the question within a few of those chats, right? That it's, there's this important question that has to be raised right at the beginning when you look at Job. How is the book of Job to be read? And so it's made really clear at the, in multiple places within this story, that Job is intended to be read as a parable, not as a historical account. And so it's this story that is actually not rooted in time and place. The story begins like a legend, a folktale, or Hebrew poetry. Listen to the opening words that clue us in. There once was a man in the land of Uz. Right there, we see that it has this long ago and far away character to it. And no one actually knows of any historical place named Us, right? And there's multiple other clues in the story. Um, as Job, as one person came and told Job about something that he had lost, and then another, and then another, and then another, and each time they were the only person that was left to tell that account. We're looking at a story of Hebrew poetry. The figure of Job was actually known throughout Israel's history as a paragon of righteousness, like group one has already said. Now, does the fact that Job is a parable make it any less true or any less valuable? This is probably the second important question to deal with. Does it make it any less authoritative? Absolutely not. We remember that Jesus taught in parables. And parables are some of the most treasured teachings the world has ever heard. Shay used one of her parables in her children's message to make a point. Job may best be understood as a meditation on the suffering of innocence. If you choose to interpret Job literally, you're free to do that, but you're going to have a whole host of really significant problems to resolve about the nature and the character of God. Those things will become quickly evident as we walk through this. The first group has already stated um, that we're introduced to this highly successful, extremely wealthy and righteous man who loved God and who refused to do evil. He immediately should remind us of the great patriarchs of Genesis, blessed with almost as many animals as Harris Ranch and a multitude of children. Job is said to have been the greatest man among the peoples of the East. Another clue right there. We are talking about this parable. But almost immediately we're introduced to this attack on Job's character as the heavenly court gathers 
And guess who is a member of God's heavenly court? The Satan. In Hebrew, the article is always present because the Satan is not a name. It's rather a title, probably here best translated as the accuser. And so the Satan has just returned from an inspection trip around the world. And it's important to note that we aren't talking about the red pitchfork-carrying devil who tempts people to evil. The Satan in the book of Job is an advisor in good standing on God's heavenly counsel, almost like a chief prosecutor in the divine realm. And so Job begins with powerful questions. And the surprise is that God starts it all off by asking the Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Chad, what did you discover about group two's responses? Let's take those now. No problem. <laughs> All right. I'm going to... Got it. Yeah. All right. Very good. Frank, that's well said. It's problematic. And so Frank's already identified that this wager, this bet between God and the Satan is more than a little bit disturbing. Again, if we take this story literally, then we have a problem because God doesn't fare well. The poet and writer Virginia Woolf speaking to her friend famously said, I read the book of Job last night and I don't think God comes out of it well. <laughs> God messes with Job's life and the lives of his kids. So this is why we can be fairly certain that we are dealing with parable, with Hebrew poetry, not history, because we're taught to interpret scripture with scripture. This is the number one interpret, interpretive principle or tool that we have. And God in scripture is never depicted as playing betting games with the universe. It's important to say with confidence that this is not the kind of God we believe in. Now, just as Jesus often answered a question with another question, the Satan asks the question that sets the story of suffering in motion. He asks, does Job only love you for what he gets out of the relationship? Or does he love God for who God is? That's the question that he asks. Asks Well, that is a really good question. If all the blessings of his life were taken away from him, would Job still love God anyway? God and the Satan place their bets, God betting on Job and the Satan betting against him. We can see why God took the bait. At stake is the whole idea of covenant love, relationship between God and humanity. The Satan is basically saying there's no such thing as selfless love. Covenant is divine illusion. 
And love with humans can only be motivated by self-interest. God believes something totally different. God believes in covenant and in God's servant, Job, and so takes the bet. All right, Dustin, what do you have for group three responses? Yeah, good. So the third group identifies rightly. Job has been stricken, right, with the worst horrors imaginable. He did what was prescribed for him in a period of grief. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. He fell on the ground. And then just wait for it. Somehow he found a way to worship. Now, I gave the fourth group a nearly impossible assignment, asking them to try to identify any shred of good news in this story of innocent suffering. And I saw a couple. I haven't seen them all. But Dustin, what did you find from group four? They looked, The ones I saw were pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's incredible. (laughs) That is amazing, group four. Really well done with a really difficult question. So when I got to the end, the first time of going through chapter one again, um, I think all of those things, you can see all of those things in the text, but there's one just really simple thing. It just kind of blew me away that even in tragedy, even when he's experiencing this like unimaginable loss and grief, Job is still seeking God. He's still trying to find God in the tragic situation that he's currently in. And he still, the scripture says, is worshiping. It's, this is amazing. And I was doing a little bit of digging on this and I came across a really good essay called The Sufferer's Wisdom. And it's on the book of Job by a woman named Ellen Davis. And this is what she said. She said, the sufferer who keeps looking for God has in the end privileged knowledge. If we read this book well, then it enables us to honor the sufferer as a teacher, a theological resource for the community. So over the next five weeks, May we begin to view the suffering of Job as our teacher who has something valuable to share with our Lightshine community. This pandemic combined with the civil unrest and quest for racial justice is as disorienting a time as most of us have ever experienced. 
The suffering is universal, worldwide universal suffering. And so maybe the question is something like this. Will we, like Job, seek the God who enters into the suffering with us? Will we, like Job, be able to hold on to our faith? Will we be able to continue in worship? I pray that Job may be just the kind of guide that we need to make it through this difficult time. God be with us and help us through. Amen.